Well, good morning. Welcome to Court Rate. Whether you've been here many times before or if this is your first time, we hope that you will feel at home worshiping with us, whether you're here in person or watching online. My name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor here at Courtright. And this morning, we are going to be continuing our study of the first two chapters of Luke, the story that Luke tells about the coming of Jesus, the birth of Christ. And we pick up that story today with Zechariah. And we saw Zechariah, we met Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife, two weeks ago, but today we meet up with him again after nine months of silence. And you might recall that he was silenced because he asked the angel who had told him that he and Elizabeth would have a child, how can this be? And we saw last week that Mary asked a very similar question, but in her case, there was a readiness, a willingness to believe. But in Zechariah's case, there was a resistance. And so God silenced him. And we're going to see what happens next. Elizabeth and Zechariah were elderly, and they were not supposed to have a child. They'd given up on having a child. And so the coming of a child for them was a miracle. And we see in Luke chapter 1 this kind of parallel effect between the child that Elizabeth will have and the child that Mary will have, John the Baptist and Jesus. One precedes the other. One prepares the way for the other. We've talked about Advent over the course of the last three weeks, how it is a season of waiting and how we wait in the tension that we experience in our lives tension between the pain of our disappointments and our frustrations and the promise of God's enduring love. And when we came up with that catchphrase, waiting in the tension for our Advent series this year, we had never heard of Omicron. Or is it Omicron? I don't even know yet. Omicron, thank you. We didn't see that coming like so many other things we haven't seen coming, and that's a new source of tension for us. I can tell you that we are not sure what will happen even over the next week, even as we look ahead to Christmas Eve, and we will let you know if there are any changes. We wait in the tension of our individual circumstances, the trouble and the joy that we experience, but also in the tension of circumstances well beyond us. During Advent, God invites us to slow down and to pay attention. And we're going to do that right now as we open God's word and read from Scripture. But first, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to silence us also this morning. We are restless. We come here today with so many things on our minds, um, and we've got so many ways of accessing our preoccupations on our phones, on our devices. There's a constant noise in our lives. But now we pray for silence. 
We ask you to speak your word into our hearts and minds as we come to you. As the disciples said, Lord, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And so we come today recognizing our need, wanting to be quiet, to hear from you. Holy Spirit, would you make that happen once again? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to call the child. Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. I remember, not too long before we moved to Guelph, one day walking across the campus of the University of Toronto. It was cold and quiet. Students were coming and going silently between classes, Suddenly, a woman in a red coat flew out of the front door of University College. She was not quiet. She was laughing and shouting and spinning. Her hair was blowing all over the place, but she didn't stop. She pirouetted and twirled and danced her way down the steps 
out onto the grass, where after another hundred paces of frenetic activity, she finally collapsed on the ground and let out a shriek of pure joy. Clearly, she was in a good mood. Now, this kind of thing doesn't happen very often in downtown Toronto, and so a crowd of onlookers gathered and seemed pretty amazed. I went up to one of them who had a knowing look on his face and asked, what's going on? He told me she just finished her PhD defense and she passed. When did you last celebrate something really wonderful? When you've waited a long time for something to arrive, and it does, what are you going to do? Well, of course, you will celebrate. I picked Chloe up on Friday afternoon from the final day of her work placement at the Sheldale Center, and as we drove off, she broke into a spirited rendition of Cool in the Gang's Celebrate Good Times, come on, let's celebrate. You with me, anyone? <laughs> Celebrate good times. Come on. Chloe was so happy. She was done school. She was done her placement. I'm sure there are other students here in person and online who can relate to that. This morning, we get to watch as Elizabeth and Zachariah and all their neighbors and relatives celebrate the birth of their child. They'd waited for this for so long many years of disappointment and perhaps even despair. They had waited in the tension. And today we're going to explore how God shows up there in that tension for them and in our lives as well. And he shows up through revelation, first of all, secondly, through restoration, and finally, through proclamation. First of all, he reveals something amazing in this child and in who the child will be. And then he restores Zechariah, he gives him back speech and hearing, and finally, the Holy Spirit brings a song to the lips of Zechariah, words that are prophecy, words that reveal God's truth, something marvelous. First, we have the revelation of a child born to Elizabeth and Zechariah. I don't know if you've heard about this, but in recent years, gender reveal parties have become pretty popular, and it seems to be all about social media. So a gender reveal party, for those of you who may not know, is a celebration when the surprise is whether it's a boy or a girl. And people get really creative about how to let their friends and family know what they've discovered. And sometimes things go wrong. You may have seen that too. But forget the gender, that really pales in comparison to what we have here. This is a baby reveal party. No one saw it coming. Elizabeth had gone into seclusion for five months for the first part of her pregnancy, and it may have gone on beyond that. This seems to be the first time that many or most of her neighbors and relatives are hearing about the baby at all. But there are more surprises to come. The angel of the Lord had told Zechariah that his son was to be named John. But the family and friends went ahead with what was expected, and they were going to name him after his father. It's kind of funny that the crowd kind of sweeps the baby away 
They don't even check with the parents, but maybe if you're from a small town, you have a sense of what that might be like. Certainly in that culture, there was not the same freedom we would have. There were expectations. That's how it was done. We have an experience like that too often, I think. We go along with what other people are doing. We feel pressure to meet the expectations of our family, our society. But our God is a God of mystery and a God of surprises. And Elizabeth had been filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw that last week. And the Spirit reveals God's mysteries. And so she speaks up and she says no. She tells them that her son's name will be John. Now you can imagine, you can read between the lines here, at how indignant they must have been. And in that patriarchal culture, there was only one way to resolve the matter. They go to the father, they go to Zechariah. And this is how we know he was deaf as well as mute, because they have to sign to him to get him to understand what they're asking. I'm sure they did it better than that. That was <laughs> the lamest signing. So Zechariah, using a writing tablet, indicates to this crowd of well-intentioned people, friends and family, that his name is John. He confirms what his wife said. So now you've got an old lady who gives birth to a child, and you've got a name that makes no sense in a culture where names mattered hugely, coming from the mother first, which is weird, and then the father agreeing to it. Clearly, God is up to something special. This fancy word, revelation, that I'm using for the first point of my sermon, it's a word theologians use, but really it means something simple. It means that God shows us that he's real. I'm guessing you're here today or watching today because you've experienced that in your life. Maybe God did something incredible for you like he did for Elizabeth and Zachariah. He broke through to you in an astounding way. Or maybe it was more of a gradual revelation that came quietly over the years in little things. Or maybe you can't say today that you've ever felt that God showed up and changed you, touched you, offered you a relationship with him. And if that's the case, I would invite you, encourage you to ask God this Christmas if he would show you who he is. And really all of us, whether we've had a dramatic conversion experience or can't really point to the time, the moment, it was a gradual growth we need to be asking that same thing. Luke wrote his gospel because he wants us to know that God keeps his promises. And through the words we've read this morning, through God's word in scripture, he invites us to renew our faith in him and to expect him to show up in extraordinary ways. I remember must be seven or eight years ago now, at 
a Courtright VBS, the kids and the adults involved were invited to share God sightings. Anyone remember that from VBS a few years ago? I see a few hands. And I loved that so much because it's easy, it's all too easy, it's scary easy to let a day or a few days go by and not to think, where, where was God in, in my day? Where is God right now in my life, in the life of our church? So where have you seen God lately? Maybe that's kind of a personal question that you would have trouble answering in a group or even to another person. But I'd encourage you to to put that question, to ask someone that. Some of us feel more free to talk about, others are more hesitant, but it's good for us to reflect on it. As I did that, I thought, we have seen, and I personally have seen, God show up. I've seen God's renewed revelation in the results of Lesia's surgery. Some of you know the story of Lesia and Leandro Bastos, who are a young family here at Courtright. The doctors were saying that the tumor on Lesia's spine couldn't be removed without grave risk to her mobility, that she would likely lose the use of her legs and maybe even lose her life. But Lesia was on her feet this past week. It's only been two weeks since her surgery. God is good. God is good all the time. Then last week, there was a little announcement buried in in the uh, announcements that we start the service with about a family connected to our church community that had lost all their possessions in an accident. And it was an invitation to help them out. And only a few days later, I learned that we had collected everything that they needed for the new place they were moving into. Once again, God is good all the time. God shows up. Do we believe it though? Is there a big ask? Is there a great need in your life right now or in the life of somebody you know? Because God still shows up. He still works miracles. Are you asking him to do that? Are you straining, longing for that and letting him know? Of course, we pray, thy will be done. That's how Jesus tells us to pray. But we also need to pray for mountains to move, for startling new revelations of God's power and presence. Will we join together in doing that at Courtright? I hope so. And as we pray those prayers, sometimes we find that the biggest miracle is the mustard seed, the tiny, quiet, inconspicuous ways that God renews our hope or brings us to faith for the first time. And we see that in what comes next. We see that in the restoration of Zechariah. When you stop and consider the journey that Zechariah has been on, it's a quiet transformation that took a lot of time. But verse 64 is pretty dramatic. We read, Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And yet, it took nine months of silence and isolation to get there. That cannot have been easy. 
And I say that as a strong extrovert, but I think that cannot have been easy for anyone to not be able to speak, to not be able to hear. Think about the isolation of the pandemic that we've been through and are still going through. In spite of all those challenges, we've still had so many ways of connecting with each other, of communicating, of continuing to be in relationship. But imagine total silence for almost a year. It must have been incredibly difficult. It must have been tempting for Zachariah to have indulged in a really long pity party or just to have tuned God out. I think that's often how we react when we're suffering. We blame God. We resent him. And soon we start to doubt whether he's even there. But Zechariah experiences the opposite. Faith comes quickly and without hesitation to some. We saw that last week with Mary. But for others, faith comes slowly through skepticism and doubt. And it only really takes root when we suffer. God silenced Zechariah, disciplined him. And yet Zechariah chooses here to obey the Lord and to praise him. How did that happen? How did he get to that point? Well, I'm willing to bet that silence had a lot to do with it. In his remarkable poem, Ash Wednesday, the English poet T.S. Eliot wrote about his journey through doubt and groping in the darkness towards faith. And he wrote these words, Where shall the world be found? Where will the word resound? Not here. There is not enough silence. Our lives are full of noise, and chatter, and distractions. But the word of God resounds when we turn away from all that frenetic activity and pay attention to the Lord. It's not about going to a monastery necessarily. Silence can be cultivated in a 10-minute quiet time with God each morning. But silence and solitude, like suffering, always confront our need for control. If you think about it, speech is a kind of control. When you're in an argument with someone, do you want to get the last word? Of course you do, because then you've won, right? Our words are constantly trying to justify ourselves. In a way, all speech, unless we still ourselves, quiet ourselves before God. All of our speech tends back towards us, our needs, our desires. But Jesus teaches that the last word is not victory. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for me. Yield your will, hold your tongue, and by God's grace, you'll pay attention in a new way to who God is, his beauty, his majesty, and how he's leading you, his direction for your life. And that is going to change everything. That is going to change your relationships. That is going to bring a new awareness, a new peace. All these things we celebrate in Advent, a new hope, a new joy, new love into your life.
Zechariah was restored to speech and hearing. But even more, his restoration was renewed trust and a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Light in what had been the darkness of his distance from God. And that's what happens next. Zechariah is filled with the Spirit and he proclaims God's prophetic word. It's like a fire has been lit and just bursts forth. So we started with the revelation of God's presence in the birth and in the naming of a child. Extraordinary stuff. And then there was restoration for one who had experienced suffering and discipline. Now we come to the proclamation of Christmas good news. And it's a poem. It's a song. Fast on the heels of Mary's song last week, Zachariah's song bursts out of a new depth of feeling and faith, and he speaks with words that are not his own. Every line of Zachariah's song here comes from Scripture, a lot of it from the prophet Isaiah, who prepared the way of the Lord, as would John the Baptist, the son of Zachariah and Elizabeth. This reference to the horn of salvation comes directly from Psalm 18. Why a horn? Didn't that strike you as a little weird? We think of the gift of salvation, the joy of salvation, the horn of salvation. How many of you have a pet at home? Anyone? Maybe it's a dog. We got a puppy before the pandemic, before everyone was doing it. (laughs) Your dog may be your best friend, but it doesn't have any horns. How many of you have a cat or a bunny rabbit? Well, your cat, I'm sure, is the cutest thing in the world, but correct me if I'm wrong, no horns? What has horns? A bull. bull. Want one of those for your kid, maybe? Anything else? A goat? Like the goat in The Hobbit that the dwarf king rides? You know what I'm talking about? The crazy goat? that charges at people? People think goats are cute, they're wrong. (laughs) What about a rhinoceros? There is a formidable goat. Or my favorite dinosaur, the triceratops. Anyone love the triceratops? Huge horns, a force to be reckoned with. The horn is the toughest part of an animal. It stands for strength and power. And that is the kind of redeeming force that is coming from the house of David. That is why Zacharias sings. And it's part of the story of Scripture, the story of this people chosen by God through a covenant with Abraham, going back centuries, millennia. And right now, here in Luke 1 and 2, it's being fulfilled It's being fulfilled in the birth of a child that will be born to Mary, who was, as we saw last week, blessed, 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 and blessed again. But this will be altogether new. This will be a new salvation, not just a rescue from enemies, which immediately would have made the people who read this song think of the Exodus. It's not just that. It's a different kind of power a new way that leads, as we see later in this song, to the forgiveness of sins, leads us on the path of peace. And so Zechariah starts his song. The first five verses are all about this horn of salvation, 
a Messiah from the house of David. But the second half of the song, he moves on to his own son, who would grow up to be John the Baptist and prepare the way of the Lord by pointing to Christ. You know, as I've reflected on the story of Zechariah, on his silence, I have thought a lot about my brother-in-law, Philip. Just over a year ago, Philip was diagnosed with ALS, which, as some of you know, is a progressive nervous system disease that affects nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord and causes eventually complete loss of muscle control. And Philip has a particular kind of ALS that most people don't get. It's about 20-30% of people get bulbar onset ALS, which means it starts with his tongue and vocal cords rather than with his limbs. He says, because somehow he has a sense of humor about it, he says, you could try this too. Go home and take a clothespin and put it on a hung. And you might get an idea of what it feels like for Philip to try to talk or swallow. So he has been losing his speech gradually. And Robin, Judith's oldest sister, Philip's wife, translates for him. And it's been getting harder and harder to understand Philip. But he has not lost his voice. It's been pretty incredible. Instead of silencing Philip through this terrible disease, God has given him a completely new voice, a new message, a new way of proclaiming God's goodness, of reminding us that God keeps his promises. Philip says that ALS has changed everything in his life, but it changes nothing about God. I love that. And he talks, and Robin translates for him about how his suffering has brought him closer to Jesus than ever before. It has brought healing and joy into his life like he never could have imagined. So he's losing his speech, but he has a voice like never before. He has a song, and he sings of God's goodness. And he sings, he would say now, as one who is depending on him, who is trusting him in a deeper, more complete way than ever in the past. And so on this fourth Sunday of Advent, when we have lit the candle of love, it's not really about our love, though that's important, but it's only God's love that sets in motion our love, that gives us a hope that will endure. Philip says that the love of the Father is the only thing left in the end, and he is discovering that. He says he can no longer prove himself. He can no longer perform for reward. The darkness has swallowed up all of his pride. And he is, in, he is familiar with that darkness. He talks about it openly. He's not in denial about it, not at all. And yet he finds his voice in God's word, most of all in the Psalms, in their desperation, in their lament, and in their reaching for God. 
He wrote something recently about the 23rd Psalm and the good shepherd coming close in the valley of the shadow of death and how he is in that place and he has heard God say, I am with you. He wrote recently, I've collapsed into the arms of my heavenly father. I have no hope or strength for anything else. And you know, it is good. So we are praying for a miracle for Philip, and I know some of you are too. Through it all, Philip has reminded our family and so many others that God is good all the time. Zachariah's song ends with light coming into the darkness. It takes us back to the beginning, to the creation of the world. And now it signals a recreation coming thanks to Christ. Through him, God has shown us salvation. In his humble birth, he gave up his glory for our sake. At the cross, he gave up his life for the forgiveness of our sins. By his resurrection, he has conquered death, and he shines on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And the Holy Spirit promises to guide our feet in the path of peace. And it's a path that the 23rd Psalm tells us leads home. It leads to a cup that is overflowing. It leads to being anointed with oil, God's blessing. And it leads to a banquet. It's a promise that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whatever darkness there is in your life right now, whatever disappointment whether it's great or small, I want to encourage you to take time to be silent over the next week or two. Read the opening pages of Luke's gospel. Ask the Holy Spirit to renew the joy of your salvation and to give you greater peace. And then take your part in what Zachariah and Elizabeth do, what John the Baptist did, and what the Spirit guides all of us into. And that is to point to Jesus. I was helping my parents with their Christmas letter recently, and I was struck by all the people they keep in touch with. I think those of us of a younger generation are not nearly as good at that. Now, silence can be fruitful. We've talked about that this morning already, but some of us have allowed a different kind of silence into our lives, the silence of a lost relationship. Maybe you've drifted apart from a friend or there's been some issue that has come up between you. Is there someone who has been on your mind to write to or to call? Maybe someone you could invite to watch or attend our Christmas Eve service? We only find our way on the path of peace as we extend that peace to others. And so I want to close with a, a moment of silence. It seems like the appropriate thing to do after what we've reflected on this morning. And I encourage you in the silence to ask the Holy Spirit to draw your attention to one person who you have drifted away from, with whom there is only silence. And then for you to reach out to that person in love. So let's pray. Lord God, you give us words to speak to one another. 
Jesus, you are the word made flesh. Holy Spirit, what words would you have us speak and to whom? Lord, give us a name, give us, give us a picture, give us a memory, give us a revelation of who you're sending us to in the spirit of Zachariah's song. Holy Spirit, in your mercy, Hear our prayers.